The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and His grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is the fountain that's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come There's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from their old life of sin, Till the Savior awaits to open the gates to welcome the lost before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you There's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross, room at the Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Like eagles staked to the ground, mighty God of heaven, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would come and quicken this word that you've put on my heart and that you will meet us today. Thank you, mighty King. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I was on my way some years ago to an appointment with Dr. Halverson, who was at that time the chaplain of the United States Senate. A friend had set the appointment up. I was uncertain about how it would go or even why I was going to see him. But a mutual friend had put our, our dates together and he had said to me, you must go see Dr. Halverson. So I went in. I saw this gentleman. He was tall, white hair, very dignified man. He began to ask me questions about the radio ministry that 
we had at that time. I shared with him why we were doing it. And finally he asked me, why have you come? And I said, Dr. Halverson, I don't know. I was asked to come. He sat back in his chair, he pushed back. He said, well, now, this is interesting. You don't know why you're here, and I don't know why you're here. So I think I need to just tell you what's on my heart from the Holy Spirit. I said, thank you. He said to me, Pastor, God's people are like eagles staked to the ground. And then he stopped. And this great big hunk of a man began to weep. Tears flowed down his face. He said, Our church is filled with little people. Little people staked to the ground. People who are preoccupied with their own little world. Little people who are indifferent to the needs of others. They have no concern for those without any personal reference. I sat there stunned. Those were the last words I expected to hear from the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. But he continued with tears down his face. Saying, we've come to a point in America where the church is dying. I knew that he had been the pastor of one of the largest Presbyterian churches in Washington, D.C., He said, my church is dying. My Presbyterian church is dying. And it's dying because we're self-centered. We don't know how to soar. We're afraid. And he said, the great tragedy now is that small people are unavailable And then he stopped and he kind of laughed and he said, no, no, we don't need big shots. We need people with big hearts, with large souls, people with vision, whose feet are on the ground but whose eyes are on the far horizon, people with a goal who are on their way to heaven and plan on taking a crowd with them. I listened to him. I wept with him because I knew what he was saying was true. For most of my life, I had been staked to the ground like an eagle, concerned about myself, about my surroundings, about my problems, my struggles. Up to that point in my life, I'd had very little concern for God's problems or God's struggle. It was about me and how I wanted to be successful and how I wanted to reach my personal goals. And much of the time, it was simply about how can I survive? How can I pay the mortgage? How can I pay for the car? How can I take care of my family? What am I going to do about my girl's education? How am, I going to, how am I going to survive? That day a shift occurred in my heart. I was recently at a place of business. I know the owner well. He was telling me this story. He said he had been about his business, getting set for the day, 
and three of his employees came a half hour early. Instead of joining him in the process of getting everything set for the day in this store, they stood outside and smoked cigarettes and talked and laughed. And then a delivery truck came rolling through and took out the telephone line. And their business was very dependent on that telephone line. He said to the three who were standing outside, could you come in and help me? We're in an emergency. And they said to him, oh, we're sorry, we don't start until... And they didn't help him. At the end of that shift, as they were leaving, they were each handed an envelope. And this business owner said, you'll find in that your final check. You're fired. And they thought that was most unjust. How is it possible you can fire us? We did everything we were supposed to do. Oh, yes, they had been there for their full shift. But they had a total block out on any understanding of what it meant to be committed to a larger vision than their own paycheck. You remember the story. A traveler stops by a great building site, and he's curious as to what they're in the process of building. And so he sees a laborer taking supplies and moving it from one place over to where it was available beside the building. And so he said to him, what are you doing? He said, I'm moving these building supplies over here. The man figured he wasn't going to find out what this building site was from that labor, so he went to another one, a man who was a mason. And he said to the mason, what are you doing? He said, I'm building this wall. Well, he knew he wasn't going to get very far with that mason, so he went on to another worker. And he said, what are you doing? What are you building? And the man stopped and got a faraway look in his eye, and he lifted up his hand and he said, I'm building a great cathedral to the Lord God of heaven. Three very different answers, but very telling regarding the inner motivation for why they were there. Two people were on that work site because they expected to be paid at the end of the day. The third was there because his heart was fully given to building a great cathedral for God. I could do the same thing. I could walk into a mechanic shop and I could say to a mechanic, what are you doing? He'd say, I'm putting on new tires. I could ask another mechanic, what are you doing? I'm putting in my day until I can get out of here. But I could put that same question to another mechanic, and he would, with excitement, tell me about this wonderful automobile he's working on. And there would be a glow in his face as he talks about how this automobile is going to perform and the service he's doing for that man who's coming in for it. Because he has a vision of what it means to do the work he's doing. It's not just endless work. It's not dead-end work. It's not without a vision. If I were to ask you, what are you doing with your life? What would you answer? Waiting for the next beer? You know, waiting for the paycheck to come? Putting in time, trading your precious life for a few coins? Are you a slave? What are you doing with your life? Are you staked to the ground like an eagle would be if it were tied down and couldn't fly? Or can you soar? Are you free? 
You know, part of where we're struggling right now at the National Prayer Chapel. I have a vision. It's to reach Washington, D.C. with the gospel of Jesus in such a way that men's and women's lives are transformed. They're changed. They have passion in their lives for Jesus. But most Christians in Washington, D.C. are just going to church. Either to punch the clock and say, I've been to church, I've done my deal. Or they're in church to say, I needed some entertainment. Come on. I've been a pastor a lot of years. I've pastored in some very large congregations. I know the Thursday night rehearsals we used to do. Making sure the spotlights were right, the sound effects were right, everyone lined up, everybody timed to the second to be on stage, and we called it a stage. The curtain, we knew everything we were going to do because we had a show to put on. How's that differ from the opera house at the Kennedy Center? You go and you laugh a little, you cry a little, you're entertained, and then you go home. How's that different than the modern American church? Oh, I like that church because they have the friendliest people in town. Well, I can show you stores that have the friendliest people in town. I like that church because they have a wonderful children's program. Well, I like Wegmans because they have a wonderful fish bar. How is it any different? Is church an amenity in your life? Or is it the very center of your life? The called out ones, the ecclesia. Every thinking moment, every every moment of your time is given for the building of the kingdom of God by the way you love people, by the way you confront people, by the way you service and help people, by the way you give to people. We don't need big shots. We don't need people who are somebody. We don't need pastors that are popular. We need people who have big hearts. We need people who will follow Jesus. We need people who will sell out for the kingdom of God. We need people who will forget about themselves and follow Jesus. In Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, Ezekiel the prophet is speaking about the church. He begins in verse 26. This is Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Her priests do violence to my laws and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash those deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. Can I please become very controversial? We're coming up to an election in America. Are you going to choose to vote for another man who will continue the wars of America? who will continue to invade the nations of the world for our economic gain and call themselves Christian? It says, Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions 
and lying divinations. It says they shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Why did America go into Iraq? Oil. Unjust gain. It's estimated that America killed some three million Iraqis. Did Saddam Hussein kill three million of his people during any period of time? No. It was a sovereign nation. But the Christian nation, in the name of God, with the blessing of God's people, becomes an invader. I know, I'm not supposed to talk about politics, but guess what? Those who fired the first shots in the American Revolution was the pastor and the elders of a congregation. They were called Minute Men. They were defenders of liberty. Most of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence for America were godly men, Christian men. They paid for signing that declaration, most of them with their lives and their fortunes. There's a great tradition in America of freedom. But in recent years, this lamb-like beast spoken of in Revelation has begun to speak like a dragon. And where are the Christians standing up and saying, stop, stop. We're to love one another. Now, it's one thing if America defends itself. It's something very different if America goes after another nation's oil simply because we can, because we have the military power. This is what the church was doing in Ezekiel's day. Shedding blood, killing people to make unjust gain, acting like wolves, tearing their prey. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. Now look at verse 30. I have it underlined in colored pencil, orange and yellow. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Will you be a person who will stand in the gap for America? And will you lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ? And will you be a peacemaker instead of a war maker? Verse 31, so I will pour out my wrath on them. God could not find a man who would stand in the gap, who would build up the wall, who would restore the foundations of holiness in a nation. If ever there was a time for America to be concerned about our foundation, today is the day. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fire ang anger, bringing down on their own heads all they've done, declares the sovereign Lord. The Lord God of heaven is about to bring down on America all we've done with the slaughter of babies, countless numbers of abortions, shedding the blood of innocent children, making war, lifting up 
every kind of unclean thing, forcing schools to teach children in the third, fourth, and fifth grades about homosexuality. We've done every unclean thing in America. Where is the place where Christians finally stand up and say, this is wrong. We must return to Jesus. We must wash our hands of this blood. We must repent of our sin. And we must restore peace in our nation. Our nation is about to be shredded to pieces with civil disobedience with one group fighting against another group. The Tea Party against the occupation. The occupation against the Tea Group. Every kind of division is coming in America. Where do Christians finally stand up and say, look, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Orientals, we all gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. Iraqis, Nigerians, we all gather in the name of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ. We gather together to walk holy before God and to worship the Most High. We desperately need churches in Washington, D.C. who will stand up and be counted and say, enough of ungodliness. See, the... the, the answer is not going to be found in politics. The answer is not going to be found in this election. The answer is going to be found one person at a time as they turn toward Jesus and they clean their life up. They wash and are made clean by the blood of Jesus where they turn their televisions off and they turn the world off, and they begin to read the Word, and they begin to search after Jesus with all of their heart, their mind, and their soul. Where we stop the pursuit of money for the sake of pleasure, and we begin to say, Lord, bring to me the resources necessary to build your kingdom. This has to be changed in the church in my heart, in your heart, where we give ourselves utterly and completely to the kingdom of God, where we're crucified with Christ, where our life is no longer precious to us, but the life of Christ is precious to us. There's a passage of Scripture that gives me great hope in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I want you to look at this with me. The writer of the book of Hebrews begins to say, you've not come to a mountain that's on fire. You know, you've not come to a big show. You've not come to all the lighting and the sound effects. You've not come to a mountain trembling. You haven't come to a stage play. He says... In verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You understand that Zion is a particular part of Jerusalem. It's the highest part of the city of Jerusalem. Zion is where the temple of God was built. Zion is where the most holy compartment was placed. He's saying, but now you have come to Mount Zion. That is the highest place on the earth. To the heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, that is Jesus Christ whose names are written in heaven. Saying, look, you may not see very much right here. But in the Spirit, as you come into church, 
It's not what you see on stage that's going to make the difference. It's what's in your heart that's going to make the difference. If in your heart you recognize that you are coming into Zion, you are coming into the highest place on the earth, you are coming into the heavenly Jerusalem in your spirit, you're coming and joining together with you are thousands upon thousands of heavenly angels and thousands of the spirits of those men and women who have been made righteous. You're coming together in this grand assembly. You look at this little fellowship today, we're just a handful of people. But we're a part of something that is much larger. Can you see the angels? No, I can't either. But by faith, I know they're there. We've not been deserted. We've not been cast aside. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we come to church, to the ecclesia, to the gathered people of God. But it's also the gathered angels of God. It's the gathered saints of the ages who have gone before us. We all gather in grand assembly before the throne of God. Verse 23, part B, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect and women made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, that is back at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. In Matthew 24, we're told that at the end of time, the Lord God of heaven is going to shake the sun and the moon and the stars. I'll tell you, we're going to see a show very shortly. I expect all of us in this room to see that demonstration of God's power. Now it's not just going to be a little mountain that's going to shake and roll and burn. It's going to be the very heavens. The heavens are going to roll back like a scroll. And we're going to see the glory of the coming Jesus Christ with his angels. But today... The sky is closed and the sun is solid and the moon is going to come up tonight. But we come in solemn assembly with the mighty angels of God. We gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Because we've come in the name of Jesus and because we're not alone in this gathering, he's saying, Don't say no to Jesus. You know, it's so easy when I leave church or when you leave church to walk out of here and think, okay, now I'm in my life again. Now I'm free to do what I need to do. Now I'll think what I need to think and go where I need to go. Wrong. When you leave this house, those angels you just worshiped Jesus with are going to be watching everything you do and say. Those angels are going to see if you're really worshiping the Lord God of heaven with all of your heart and all of your soul, or if you just came into his presence and spoke words. For the children of Israel, it meant when you go home and it's Friday, will you collect a double portion of manna? And on Saturday morning, Sabbath, will you go out and try to collect manna again instead of obeying the word of the Lord and resting? And as you know, the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, 
was a symbol of Jesus Christ. Today we've entered into the Sabbath rest in Jesus. And now every day is Sabbath in Jesus. So tomorrow when you awaken, you're going to awaken to another Sabbath day. Tuesday, when you awaken, you're going to awaken to another Sabbath day. A day when you come before God, where He's going to walk with you, where He's going to order your steps if you'll allow Him, where He's going to put His arms around you and uphold you, where He's going to protect you from the enemy. So it's up to us to cast off the fear. It's up to us to cast off the lust the bitterness, the anger. It's up to us to walk righteous before God, recognizing that we don't walk alone. We walk with those assembled angels that today we can't see, but in the Spirit we can. You're not alone. The Lord is watching and He's saying, is there a man or woman who would stand before me as an intercessor for America? who would not condemn America, but who would pray for America, who would not condemn the Muslims and call them wicked names, but pray for them. Iran is right on the edge today. This morning in my prayer closet, I cried out for the people of Iran. The people of Iran are very similar to us. They have children. They have homes. They have life goals. Many of them don't like their government. Many of them struggle with the oppression. They're even Christians in Iran, testifying for their faith, being beaten being persecuted. How can we not pray for Iran? How can we go, rah, rah, let's go get them? How can we do that? Well, they might get an atomic bomb. Well, don't you have an atomic bomb, America? Doesn't Israel have atomic bombs? Doesn't Pakistan have atomic bombs? Doesn't India have... Don't many nations... Are we the police of the world? I look at what we've become as Americans and I'm saying, Lord, forgive us. Something has to change in our hearts. This nationalism. You know what? I love America, but I love Jesus more. America is a wonderful land. I am so blessed to have been born American, to have grown up in this wonderful nation. But you know what? This is not my home. I'm an alien. I'm a, I'm a traveling person. I'm on pilgrimage through this land. My home is heaven. I'm on my way. And in heaven, I'm going to have beside me Iranians and Iraqis, Pakistanis, Nigerians, Chinese, how can I allow my heart to rise up in hatred toward these peoples when those very peoples are being saved by the gospel? As a Christian, I have to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, not through the eyes of the conquering nation. Are you a person who is available for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, will you be available to sacrifice your time and your energy and your life for the kingdom of God? Can you forget about yourself this week and concentrate on Jesus? Can you believe that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all of these other things will be given to you as well.
Is that a stretch for your heart? Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now you know that there were no chapter divisions in the original Greek. Those were put in afterwards. And I don't think we should have separated chapter 13, verse 1 from that passage I just read. So I'm going to read it for you again altogether, all right? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't that awesome? God has called us by the Spirit to stop thinking that we're isolated and alone. We're not. We're in the company of the angels of the Almighty God, and they might even come and fellowship at your table. I could tell you some stories. My grandma and grandpa, they were builders. Grandpa owned a construction company, and the Great Depression came. And all of the houses that he had built and had deposits on, waiting for them to go to closing, none of them went to closing. The banks turned it all down. And grandma and grandpa lost everything. They lost the business. They lost everything. So grandpa had the trucks. And out of the bankruptcy, he was able to save one of the, one of the construction trucks. He lived in a little town called Bosler, Wyoming. Cheyenne was up on the mountain. Cheyenne, as you may know, is the capital of Wyoming. And there were a lot of ranches down below in the foothills. So Grandpa decided that he was going to run a service, driving to Cheyenne, picking up supplies, and delivering them to the ranches as a way to support Grandma and the family. Now at that time, there was not a four-lane highway between Laramie and Cheyenne. Today, if you drive it, there's a beautiful four-lane highway. Then there was just two trails out across the prairie. One day, Grandma and Grandpa headed out together on their way to Cheyenne. And they were way out in the prairie, and the brake drum locked on the truck. The right rear brake locked. And they couldn't drive. Grandpa got out of the truck. He said, I'll pull my tools. He searched for his tools and then discovered that he had set them aside because he was planning on a large load and had not, just not thinking, had not brought the tools. Got down on the ground to look at this brake drum, and it was so hot he couldn't touch it. And they knew they were in trouble. This was an area that there was very little traffic. They had not seen anyone so far in the journey, and it was likely that they would not see anyone until they got close to Cheyenne. Grandpa was not a Christian, but Grandma was a very real Christian. So Grandma said, Rollo, let's pray. You pray. 
Grandma said, all right. And she began to pray, pleading with the Lord to rescue them. Grandpa said, look, someone's coming. And out across the prairie, coming a long way off, they could see the trail of dust from a vehicle making its way on the same trail. They waited. It took them some time for that vehicle to finally arrive where they were. It stopped. A man got out. He was dressed in white coveralls. Grandpa got out of the truck. He went over to meet him. And he said, my brake drum has locked up and I have no tools. The man never said a word. He turned around. He went back to his truck. He got his tools. He brought them out. He got down on the ground under the truck and he went to work on that brake. And very quickly it was repaired. Grandpa walked up to the cab of the truck to ask Grandma for money so they could pay this man. He got the money in hand. He turned around to pay the man. And the man and the truck were gone. They'd not heard one thing. They looked out over that prairie in every direction and there was no dust. And Grandma began to cry and said, that was, that was an angel. I could tell you so many stories like that from my past. Where angels have come and ministered to our family, rescued us. Today we don't walk alone. And we're called to reach out and begin to love others and be conscious of whose company we're keeping. We're in the presence of the angels of God. They gather with us in glad assembly to worship the Most High God. And he's saying to us, Keep on loving each other as brothers and do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. You can be staked to the ground this week, a little person concerned about your deal, concerned about the wants of your heart, or you can soar like an eagle be concerned about others, looking out for their needs, being concerned for them, not walking in anger or bitterness or judgment, but walking in love and peace, not in fear, but in the presence of the angels of God. Almighty God, I choose today the way of peace. I choose today, Jesus, to be aware of the needs of others and to serve as a member of your household, not as a hireling, but as a member of your household. And I ask, Lord, for the angels to come close to us as ministering spirits, as we serve you, Jesus. Lord, this week, could we see deliverance? Could we see the tide turned in our personal lives? Could we see old enmities dropped? Could we see old sins broken? Could we see and know this week the presence of the Holy Spirit calling us to you, Jesus.
you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.